Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We are your staff writers for Swamp247.com. Blake, uh, coming back on the other side of the Christmas break, uh, not really a whole lot of time before things really start ramping up in a big way on the site, so we encourage everybody to check it out at swamp247.com. Uh, I think the way we'll break up today's show, since we do have a lot to talk about, uh, kind of recapping the early signing day, getting into some of the bowl game preview, and then I know, Blake, you'll be uh, you know quite busy with the All-American games coming up for high school prospects, and some of the top guys that remain uncommitted will obviously be playing in those games, deciding in those games. So let's start off talking about the Orange Bowl, Blake. Uh, you know, Florida got down to Miami um, yesterday and uh, began kind of practicing again. And the Gators seem pretty healthy. I guess um, let's let's go talk generally first about this matchup. I know there's not necessarily a whole lot of hype around it. You've got the playoffs coming up on Saturday. Um, what, I guess, is, is your general takeaway from what this matchup can mean for both programs? Uh, well, for both programs, I think whenever – you hear the talk of Virginia, um, you know, do, do they deserve to be in this game? If it wasn't for tie-ins, would they be here? This isn't a mm-hmm. good team. You know, all, all the et cetera, et cetera. I think for them, a win um, not only gives them 10 wins on a season, um, it, it's obviously, uh, you know, uh, they'd be the underdog, so it'd be an upset win. Um, and it would kind of do a lot for the ACC, which has, you know, been kind of beaten up this year just by the national media. You know, it's just a, it's a one-team conference. So, I, you know, I think there's a lot of things that can go for Virginia to win this game. And the same flip of the coin, Florida um, continue can can continue to rise up their rankings. Um, you know, sitting at nine right now, um, it's it's an 11 win season, which I think is the most wins in like the last decade for a Florida program. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot riding. But yeah. Okay, so close. So it's been it's been quite a while. Um, since Florida's, you know, put that kind of schedule together, um, that kind of record together, um, and it's a win in, in the Sunshine State. You know, there's there's a lot of things for Florida. I, I think you can make a lot more of Virginia being the underdog and winning this game, but for Florida, it's just a chance to continue to show improvement. You know, you win ten games last year, you win eleven possibly this year. So I, I think it's uh, it just shows the direction of the program and where they're at. So I think what I'm hearing from you is is kind of what I've been thinking, and I you know I jumped on our national podcast to kind of preview the game and a little quick six-minute hitter, and, and basically what I said was this game isn't super interesting on paper. You know, a lot of people aren't going to look at the bowl lineup and circle Florida and Virginia as a game that they have to watch, but I think this game is interesting because of what you just kind of talked about. Um, there's very different motivations for both teams coming into this game, and I think it's a lot easier to look at it from Florida's standpoint and be a little bit bummed out. You know, Florida went to a New Year's Six game last year, had that experience. I think because of the way 2017 went, you know, they were coming off a four-win season last year's team, and you have a big opponent against Michigan who you had played the year before. So there was there was so many different storylines that, you know, just as a human being, mentally, 
you could get yourself geeked up on if you're a player and, and really kind of find some motivation through that to prove how far you've come uh, to really turn the table against a Michigan program that, look, frankly, there's a lot more national interest in, in national, you know, uh, street credit you get, I would say, for people for care more Mich- about Michigan care than about Virginia. That. Right. And uh, and so I think, you, you know, you talk about especially from Virginia's standpoint of nobody expects them to win this game. You know, they're going to be a pretty heavy underdog. Um, but it is their first time in the Orange Bowl, a chance for them to make a huge statement. You know, Bronco Mendenhall still getting that program turned around. I look at this and I don't see how that's not the number one factor or thing you kind of circle in this game as like, okay, which team is going to show up for both of these programs? You know, I think it's it's far easier to be confident about Virginia showing up fired up and ready to play than maybe Florida. And, you know, that's it's not that Florida can't show up fired up, ready to play. I think you know, far and away, Florida has more talent, I think. You know, this is going to be one of those games where Florida comes in with a huge talent edge. But Virginia's got some playmakers, and you know what? They've played some games against good teams. You know, they're going to have learned from their game against Clemson, uh, which, in all fairness, you know, their offense did some good things against the Tigers early on. So, uh, to me, this this is one of those games where, you know, I almost look back at, like, 2012, you know, the last time Florida did win 11 games. That was a team that won 11 games and was on the verge of a potential national title. This team isn't quite there, uh, you know, in terms of being able to play for a national title back under the BCS system. Um, You know, Florida wasn't quite there. They didn't quite win the SEC East this year. So do they come out like that 2012 team did and just, you know, kind of not ready to play? And then you get a a very, you know, that year a very hungry, hungry Louisville team with a quarterback that could really make some plays. And uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, you end up having Teddy Bridgewater, you know, tear you up and that game really wasn't all that close. And, uh, it, it was really a deflating way to go into the off season for Florida. And we obviously know, you know, in the latter half of Will Muschamp's tenure, how that ended up, ended up panning out. I, I don't think the Gators are there under Dan Mullen. I think this is very clearly different than, than Will Muschamp and how that went. And so I want to be clear that I'm not, I'm not making any sort of comparisons in that standpoint, just strictly from the emotional standpoint of can Florida get up for this game? Sure, it's a possibility. It's a total possibility here. I, I think we've talked about it a couple times, um, just from last podcast we've done. It's, you know, what 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 carrot do you need to put on the end of the stick to make mm-hmm. Florida motivated for this game? And, and I think you really have to kind of set on it being in state. You have to, you know, really hit on the fact that you can go from ten wins to eleven wins that just direction the program. And you can hit on that all you want, but does that mean that the players are going to, you know, absorb that? That they're going to be fired up for that? Some of these guys could possibly be looking, you know, to the NFL draft. There, there are so many things that you have to think about whenever you get this late in the season. And I think that that's, I, I think that Florida is going to have to have the tougher time of getting motivated for this game in comparison to Virginia, where I think they're coming in hungry. They're going to be this underdog game. Not to say that Florida won't come in hungry, but I think it's just an easier way to motivate a Virginia team than maybe a Florida team. Yeah, well, let's talk about the matchups some because, you know, we have talked about, you know, the the different factors at stake in a couple of our different episodes on the podcast. Um, I think a couple things that stand out to me. I think the first first one is obviously Bryce Perkins. I think when you start breaking down Virginia, the conversation starts and, and really in some ways almost even ends there. If Florida can slow him down, I think you have a great chance in this game. And, you know, obviously his running ability is a huge, huge factor in this game, especially when you look at how Florida has struggled you know, against Tom Flacco when you played Towson, especially on third down, against Joe Burrow uh, of LSU, especially on third down. Even in the situations where Florida did a good job forcing some third and longs, it was really burned by its inability to get off the field against a rushing quarterback. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. And I think that it's somewhat of a systemic issue because of the way Florida plays, because they're very aggressive on defense. 
Um, when Florida plays running quarterbacks, they tend to play a lot more zone coverage in the secondary to kind of keep eyes on that quarterback. Um, tackling's been a little bit of an issue in the secondary. That's been part of it with these mobile quarterbacks that have hurt. Being able to maintain pass rush lanes has been another big issue, and I think part of that stems from um, that issue really boils down to people being locked in from a mental standpoint. And I will say having a guy like Jonathan Grenard healthy for this one as opposed to, say, LSU uh, will really help. And from everything we can tell, it seems like Jabari Zuniga is actually going to play in this game. You know, I've been skeptical going into the end of the season every time they said, you know, he's ready, he's ready, he's ready, because it's not quite what I was hearing. I do think he's actually going to play in this one. I think it's going to be important for him. And if you got both of those guys, all of a sudden it, it becomes a lot easier to really crush the pocket, push the pocket, but also contain and maintain those rush lanes. So that's going to be really interesting to watch. I think if Florida can start to contain that, um, you, you're probably less likely to get hurt by that tendency to play more zone coverage and allow guys into the secondary or you know, even, even the secondary struggling and allowing receivers to kind of get behind them in zone coverage because that's been an issue in the passing game this year. Uh, having said that, you do have to contend with, look, you got you don't have C.J. Henderson, Blake, and, and that can make things very different in the secondary, too. Yeah, I think there's it's a totally different defense for Florida if you have Jabari Zuniga, when you have Jonathan Greenard, who, who's looking to be, if not full go, at least very close to that. I mean, I'm sure that there's been some lingering injuries. Yeah, he's 100%. Season. It it happens, but I mean, I expect them both to be full go. And I think it's a totally different defense for Florida when you have those guys. And we've talked about it a couple times this year that, you know, maybe if Florida has those guys in the game, uh, you know, maybe some of these outcomes, the LSU game, the Georgia game, you know, we can play the what if game all we want. But it's a totally different defense there. Um, I think the secondary for me isn't quite as much of just something that I think is going to be a negative there. You know, not having C.J. Henderson. I, I get it. He's one of your best guys in coverage. Um, but I think Florida has some guys that are very serviceable so that they can, you know, not really have any hangups there. I'm with you, though. This boils down completely to stopping Bryce Perkins. Um, he is absolutely the one guy that you need to shut down if you're Florida's defense. And again, rushing quarterbacks even down to last season with Terry Wilson last year for Kentucky, mm-hmm. they just don't have a very um, – they seem to have a tougher time stopping some of these guys. So I think that starts and ends with the Florida defense being able to shut him down. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I will disagree with you slightly on um, the secondary and the Henderson impact of him not being there. I think when C.J. Henderson is playing, the advantage you have is you, you have a favorable matchup if you have a team that really relies heavily on one receiver because you sure. can really trust you know Henderson to kind of shut that guy down. Uh, for this Virginia team, they have three very good receivers, and I think when you do have a guy like Henderson now, all of a sudden you, you know, you're going to get some matchups where a Kyrie Elam or a Trey Dean is matched up on one of those top three receivers. Um, and so I do think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, I, I'm not saying Florida can't win that matchup, but I do think that there's going to be some give and take in this game. And I think one of the things that, you know, we talk about Florida, Virginia, not necessarily being a sexy matchup. This could be a very fun matchup, Blake, because you look at both of these teams, particularly what Virginia's offense has done the last five games of the season or so. They've gotten a lot better in the passing game. They have really started to put up some numbers, put up some yards. If Florida does struggle a little bit defensively, um, this could turn into a shootout. And I think not only that, but I, I think, you know, you look at what Virginia's done defensively. Um, you know, I think Florida's going to have some success. You know, Virginia's ranked in the 70s nationally in, in terms of passing defense, and that's not a good sign for you if you're playing Florida. And so I think Bronco Mendenhall is probably going to gamble and take some chances. You know, they do have a very good pass rush. So when you're looking at that and two teams that may be trying to go, you know, uh, 
touchdown for touchdown against each other, not only do you have the chance of a potential shootout, you also have the chance of a lot of turnovers, I see. you know, In a game where both defenses are going to be physical, they're going to be aggressive, they're going to go after the passer, you have the potential for a lot of big plays on both sides of the football. And I think you know, for as unsexy as quote-unquote Florida-Virginia is, I think the way this game actually plays out in terms of matchups could be a pretty fun, entertaining game. Yeah, you know, I I hope so at least. You know, for as much uh, as it's kind of a rain cloud that has been over this game just since it was announced, I actually hope that it is it is a fun matchup, and I hope it is a good game. just because you know, for the sake of you sitting out there in the out there at uh, Hard Rock Stadium, hopefully they give you something to make your money's worth going down there for. No, that should be good, man. And the and the weather's going to be great. Uh, I was looking at it; it's like in like low low of low seventies. So I mean, these guys are going to be right at home. Everybody's going to be happy to be down there. You know, I know. Virginia, especially, you know, this time of year where it's a little colder, uh, they're going to be thrilled to get down there. It's just going to be it's going to be a fun time for everybody. And I think, you know, being able to send the seniors off on on the right note is going to be, you know, uh, an important thing for Florida. And I, I, you know, going back to the motivation thing, I don't sense at all from this Florida team that there will be that kind of letdown that, you know, the Gators had in 2012 when they when they just missed out on you know, making it to the BCS title game. I, I just don't get that sense from this program, from these players. I really do think to win, to go from four wins to back-to-back 10-win seasons, you have to have legitimate buy-in. I mean, it's got to be more than just surface-level buy-in, and I think we've seen that from this group of seniors. So I'm not expecting Florida to not show up, but you never know. I mean, you know, Virginia comes out, uh, you know, early and scores a couple touchdowns. Somebody gets dinged up that you're not expecting to. Uh, guys, you know, start thinking about that next step, the next level. Who knows? You know, it's just it's it's a bowl game and anything can happen. And uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. But uh, Blake, let's go ahead and take a quick break and we'll get back. I know we got a lot of recruiting stuff to get to. Um, So let's take a quick commercial break and we will be right back discussing what happened in the early signing period and looking forward to uh, not just the Under Armour All-American game, the Army All-American game, but really even Florida's recruiting in general heading into February's National Signing Day. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We uh, just got done discussing Florida's Orange Bowl matchup against Virginia. We both think it's going to be a pretty interesting game, if not uh, on paper, at least in kind of how it plays out. 
Blake, let's talk about the early signing period. I know it's been a week now. Christmas break, uh, you know, kind of threw a little wrinkle into the schedule. But we're here. I, I guess, first off, what was your overall takeaway from how Florida closed with the signees that they added? Well, you know, the actual day of the early signing period, it probably didn't go as well as Florida would have would have really hoped that it would have. You know, whenever you have some of these guys heading in, you know, I've always said that it's it's harder to flip guys than it is to land them outright just because you have to spend so much time prying them away from the school that they've been committed to. And I think that's kind of where things went wrong, I guess, necessarily, if you want to call it that. Um, Florida had a couple guys on the defensive line, you know, a four-star defensive end, Donnell Harris, who's been committed to Texas A&M for quite a while. Timothy Smith, the four-star defensive tackle, who's been committed to Alabama for quite a while. Uh, Clyde Pender Jr., another guy who's been committed to North Carolina for a long time. So you're kind of heading into this day of signing period, um, and you really worked hard to flip some of these guys, and it just didn't go their way. Um, You know, that's one thing. Obviously, Florida's done a decent job and I'll get into really with their class right now. They've done a really good job, uh, at least this cycle, of improving the interior part of their defensive line. Mm-hmm. Over the last couple uh, cycles, they've done a really good job of adding some of these, you know, weak side buck edge rusher type defenders. So, you know, I, I don't think you can really, uh, you know, hold a lot of negativity to Florida missing some of these guys. Sure, you know, these are the type of battles you want to land in state. You know, these guys are A, getting out of the state of Florida, um, and B, they're, you know, some teams that are in not only in your conference, um, but they're out-of-state schools that are just kind of coming in and poaching some of these top talent guys. So I think that that is maybe where you can look at and you can kind of have some you know some negative feelings towards. But uh, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is is looking at the class now, um, or at least looking at the early signing period. It's it's missing a wide receiver in Sam Brown, um, who picked West Virginia over Florida. Um, it seemed like he gave West Virginia his uh, silent commitment when he took that official visit on December sixth. Um, then took Florida, an official. Mean? No, he took. No, oh, he, he gave, t- gave it to West Virginia. Okay. okay oh yeah, okay. we're we're got we got a double silent here. Nice, nice. Um, nice. Those are the ones you love. Gives West Virginia the ver- <laughs> uh, the silent commitment on December sixth, and then comes to Florida the next weekend after getting a late offer. Um, it was really one that he wanted all year, right. um, but he got it a little too late. Um, took that official visit on the thirteenth, and also gave Florida a silent commitment there too. So I think coming off of you know a span of a couple days there, and the, and he ends up at somewhere like West Virginia. I, I think from top to bottom. With how Florida is losing so many seniors at wide receiver, how they really relied on the passing game this year, um, not to say that they you know won't you know want to run the same type of scheme next year, which with Kyle Trask it looks like they're going to be throwing it heavy. I guess my point is that there's a lot to be desired with wide receiver recruiting for Florida this cycle. Um, minus you land a guy, a Texas transfer in Jordan Pouncey. Um, who for right now is going to need a waiver. So you know, it's kind of adding some depth there. The only other guy you signed at wide receiver uh, is Jaquavion Frazier, a four-star wide receiver. So uh, my, my point is, is on the early signing period that I understand the angst that Florida fans have towards wide receiver recruiting with it just being such a necessity this year. And it just seems like, you know, you're kind of looking for late options, you know, close to signing day. And, and now you're kind of left kind of scrambling um, in January to figure out where you're going to go from there. Right. But, Overall, I think Florida has a really good class. You know, you have all those guys that you've signed now. You have the number eight class uh, in the country, according to the 24-7 sports composite. So not only have they hit a lot of areas of need in this class, but I, I think they've got some really top time, some guys, some top tier guys that they need at certain positions. Um, but going forward, they need to continue to fill a couple of these needs. I think overall, though, I think it was just kind of a took some air out of the class's balloon to miss some of these guys on signing day. Um, well, I, I think that's the perfect way to put it, and because I know I took a little bit of grief from from various corners of you know the Florida fan base, and, and maybe rightfully so, because 
you know, I wrote I wrote a story that said it was a deflating signing day for Florida, meaning, you know, the, the four guys that they were really trying to get they missed on. But like you said, when you look at it in its entirety, um, you know, is it really that? Was it really that bad of a class? I mean, Florida closes on a Joshua Braun late. They close on a Mordecai McDaniels. Had those two um, guys decided later, closer to signing day, I think we have a different storyline on signing day. And right. I, you and know, I think that that's really what it is. So and so, it's perfectly fair to note that. Um, but like you said, I think there. Having said that, my my key issue with with Florida at the moment, and, and again, I, I'm the type of person that. Um, I'm always looking, I always kind of am looking to get better. And so I'm focused more on the areas that can be shored up still. And like you said, receiver, you know, with the guys that they have, they need to do a little bit better, I think, than they did. Not just this cycle, but even the cycle before that. You need to get a few more difference makers. And then I think the same thing at running back. And so for me, the concern is, um, you know, are they getting the guys they're really going after and targeting? And I think so far, at least at those two spots in 2020, you can't really answer that question with a, a definitive yes. Sure. Those are really the big two question mark positions, running back and wide receiver. And mind you, now there's the new thing of the NCAA transfer portal. Right. Uh, Florida had uh, the number one wide receiver for the 2018 class on campus. Uh, it was on uh, Thursday. Uh, and f- a former five-star Justin Shorter, he's a Penn State uh, transfer right now. He's in the transfer portal. Um, a little weird. He showed up during the dead period. Uh, I guess from what I've kind of gathered so far, um, he has some family in the Georgia area. Um, has has been communicating with Florida since he put his name in the transfer portal back in the earlier in the fall. Um, was down there, and I think the thing that really I key on here is that there's enough interest from his end to see Florida to drive from around the Savannah, Georgia area down to Florida's campus, mm-hmm. even when he's not allowed to talk to any coaches. Mind you, they're in Miami getting ready for the bowl game, but it being a dead period, a lot of the academic, you know advisors and you know all that those were closed for the holidays so i mean basically he really came down just to kind of check things out and, and from what i was told from talking with people that are close to the you know close to what's going on um he just wanted to come down and see the thing that much so i, I think yeah. that there's some positives there mind you i'm sure coming during the contact period would have been a lot better but i think that there's some serious interest there on florida uh, on his end and obviously florida's end so there's ways to improve yeah. Um, Shorter's probably not one of the best examples right now because he's a guy that's going to need a waiver to play immediately. And I think Florida's kind of in the situation now where you could stand to add some guys that could really help right away. But the transfer portal does bring a different dynamic to recruiting. Maybe not something you need to rely on heavily. Um, you know, going through the recruiting trail and adding these high school guys, it, it's more about building depth. It's more about, you know, kind of having right. numbers Long there. Term. Whereas the transfer portal really isn't quite something that I think that is, it needs to be used all the time for depth and for the future. Um, but adding a five-star like that, number one wide receiver, he right. really fits that mold of you know kind of a bigger receiver. Fits Florida. It's right up Florida's alley. So I think that in that case, whenever you can get a guy that's a five-star, number one at his position, you know, a top tier. I mean, this there. was, I, I believe this is like a top 10 player for his class. So right. I think there are some examples. You know, Britton Cox, obviously, is one of those guys. I think there are some exemptions, and I think those are the ones. Blake, I don't remember off the top of my head, and I meant to mention this to you before the podcast. Uh, I, I haven't had a chance to fully research it yet, but I am almost positive that one of Florida's transfers in Mullen's first recruiting cycle also did the same kind of visit where he came onto campus and the coaches weren't there. They weren't. That, you know, they weren't allowed to speak to him or whatever. I don't remember which one offhand it was. I'm going to try to find that out. Um, but I am almost positive that that has also happened. And I believe Florida landed to whoever. I don't remember if it was Adam Schuler uh, or maybe Van Jefferson. But I'm pretty sure it happened in one of those cases. Um, and Florida ended up landing the guy. So, like you said, very, very positive sign there. 
I'm pretty sure Schuler was on campus a couple times before he made his decision. I don't think he took an official visit, but I'm pretty sure he popped up a couple okay. times. But he's from the state of Florida. He's from around the Orlando area. So coming home and being a graduate from West Virginia kind of helped things out. Now, Van Jefferson, I can't remember off the top of my head. I think he visited before he made a decision, but I'm mm-hmm. not 100% sure. But I do know that I'm at least I'm fairly certain that he visited in high school as well. So, uh can't I'll have to look it up. I, I, I remember distinctly thinking, why is this guy visiting? Because he can't meet with the coaches. I or think anything. Trevon Grimes was another one that. It might have been. Oh, Grimes, no, actually, it might have been Brenton Cox. He was there uh, on a time whenever it was during the dead period. Um, okay. But there's a there's a loophole to the rule that if you show up during the dead period with the full intentions of enrolling and not leaving, that's kind of the loophole there to meet with that. So that was kind of uh, how they got the Brenton Cox thing done okay. when it was during the dead period. So there's a little fun fact there. Okay, well, Blake, uh, let's reset now. I guess looking forward, where is recruiting going from here? I'll just leave it that open-ended. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be said here. Um, Florida still has – they're going to they're gonna go over 25. They have the space there. At least uh, you think in theory right now as far as where they hit because I felt like I was worried about how Florida's going to meet all these numbers before the early signing period, and obviously and that's not the case now. Um, but including Jordan Pouncey as signing, you have 25 guys in the class now. Whether Wardrick Wilson finds his way in in January, I think it kind of hinges on him being in part of the numbers as well. Um, mm-hmm. Florida's going to have a couple guys that are going to be announcing during these uh, All-American games. Um, we can get into those guys later, but I don't expect Florida to be the pick for either one of those guys right now. But they still have some some guys that are some targets going forward. Um, and I think the case of now where you see a lot of these guys that are signing in December and they're you know not wanting to wait until February, you don't have – you know, this big, giant mass of signees. It seems like the December signing period is now what essentially used to be the big national signing day. So February doesn't really have the thunder there. But, you know, obviously four-star uh, safety, Avante Williams is a guy that Florida likes a lot. Uh, they've been trying to flip uh, four-star running back Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech, who's landed a lot of uh, other offers uh, during the season. He's going to take an official visit to Florida in January. Um, you know, Henry Parrish, another four-star running back from the state of Florida, um, Demarcus Beckwith is another guy who's, I, I think he's more, he's an athlete. He's listed as an athlete. He plays a couple different positions for his team, but he's really one of those tight end types that really kind of fit the same mold of Kyle Pitts, where you can kind of do a little bit of different things with him. So Florida's going to have some targets, um, still going forward. Another guy I think that is, is one that's going to be, uh, much more on Florida's radar come January is another running back, a four star out of, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, Warren Easton High School, um, and Ashad Clayton. He's a running back right now, currently committed to Colorado. Florida hasn't offered yet. I think it's kind of trending towards more than likely he's going to get an offer from Florida as they kind of feed through a lot of these other running backs right now. Um, he's he's going to visit Florida in January as well. He's already used his official visit to Colorado. So I think that whenever you have a guy that's committed to one of those kind of smaller schools and you, you know, you've already used the official visit, I think that it kind of sets up to where, where Florida gets him on campus and, and really wants to go and push there. I think that he's one to really watch. Mind you, he still has to get an offer first. Um, I, I think probably those are the guys to follow the most closest right now for Florida targets. Um, I think wide receiver, it's it's totally not out of the realm of adding some more guys to the board, maybe seeing some new offers, um, kind of circling back on some of these guys who maybe didn't sign in December. Um, I think it's at least worth kicking the tires and seeing if you can get a visit there um, because if you're committed to a school and you didn't sign, you always kind of wonder, well, what, what was the holdup there? So I think it's worth it with just the fact that, whereas I named off a couple running back targets that Florida has to kind of circle back towards, um, 
there's not really many wide receivers right now that you look and you think, man, yeah, Florida is, is in the mix here. You know, oh, if we if we want to get involved with this guy, you know, oh, Florida can do that. There's just not that many names right now. So I think right. even more so it makes wide receiver position that much of a question mark. Well, and some of that I think probably depends, like you said, on the transfer porter. You know, if you take sure. a, if you take a Justin Shorter, then maybe that you know makes the decision that you, you you just sit with what you have this year and try to get through 2020, and then really really go after guys next cycle. And if that's um, the case, I think also you need to do some bigger recruiting. Maybe even guys on your roster, you know, a Trevon Grimes who sure, you know, is sure. is available to go to the uh, excuse me to the NFL draft. Kadarius Tony, I think recruiting those guys to stay makes them even more important for Florida. If you're not going to get some of these guys through recruiting, or maybe some guys, you know, a, a Tariq Black, a, a just totally throwing a name against the wall here, just a guy who recently put his name into the transfer from portal from Michigan, who will be a graduate guy. Immediate. Those are the kind of guys that I think if you're going to target some guys in the transfer portal um, that are immediate guys, I think that those are the names you need to go to. Uh, will Florida do that or not? I, I haven't really heard anything there yet, but. My point is, is that those guys in the transfer portal that can be immediate guys, I think, are the ones you need to look at. Unless you have a Justin Shorter, who's a five star and just you know improves your roster. Right. No, I agree, and I think same thing at running back. You know, I know uh, Texas A and M's Deshaun Corbin was one guy that's out there that maybe they spin the tires with. Uh, sure, there's but, been some uh, contact. I think it's yeah. more so from his end interest, obviously from sure, Florida. Sure. Um, but you know, there there are options. Sure. Well, and, that, and that's the thing is Florida's got a way, you know, does it want to uh, balance the roster that way with a guy that may maybe might have to sit here or do they, you know, hold those scholarships for the following cycle? You know, those are all those are all the calculations that Florida's having to go through. And, you know, it's only been a week since that early signing period ended. And so you, that's you what still got to reevaluate that. You, you'll yield you'll, your bowl game and then you kind of get back in the offices and you kind of start having some meetings again. And then I think that's where they kind of figure out where they stand going forward. Um, the contact period isn't even going to open back until midnight of January 17th when it rolls over to that day. So there's still plenty of time to kind of reset the board um, and then have those next couple weeks leading up to signing day. All right, Blake, well, uh, wrapping up here in the last couple minutes, uh, you mentioned a couple guys that are kind of on Florida's board that are going to be announcing it all American games. Go ahead and very, very briefly walk us through that. And then maybe tell us what Florida fans should be looking for, what you'll be looking for in terms of UF targets, maybe guys that could make a big move up in just the rankings that are already committed or signed with Florida. Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll be out at the Under Armour All-American game practices. I'll be there at Media Day, which will be on Saturday. Um, so I'll be out there, you know, kind of seeing what's going on. You know, it, it, the bad thing about the early signing period is that it does take a lot of the thunder that's been at some of these All-American games because you used to have some of these guys that were, you know, committed, being trying to flip, and, you know, all these other storylines that, like, recruiting junkies are just like, you know, that's what they want to read. And so now you have some of these guys that are signed, and there's just so few just targets in general. Um, uncommitted guys, maybe someone who didn't sign. Uh, really a lot of different things there, but the Under Armour game uh, will be on January 2nd from Orlando, and then a couple days later um, from Texas will be the All-American Bowl, which used to be the uh, Army All-American game. So in the Under Armour game, Florida's going to have a five-star tight end that will be announcing in Darnell, Washington. Um, he has already signed with his school of choice, but the, the new thing now is the silent signing. That's the new thing now yeah. in, in recruiting. <laughs> um, so he signed with the school on the early signing period, but has kind of kept it low-key um, and he will announce that, and obviously the school will announce him right after he reveals that. Georgia has been the team that has been really gotten most buzz there throughout the fall. Um, Florida will have a hat on the table, but for right now, my 24-7 crystal ball uh, is on the Georgia Bulldogs. And then flip over to another guy announcing um, in the All-American Bowl um, in four-star wide receiver uh, Xavier Henderson. He's the younger brother of C.J. Henderson, the Florida cornerback who just ad added his name into the uh, NFL draft list. So... Clemson is the team to watch there, but see, whereas 
uh, at least now what we know um, is that Washington has signed with the school. So far, we haven't heard that Henderson has signed with the school. So it looks like he will most likely be signing um, in February, unless this is like the low, lowest key super secret signing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like this will be a February signing for him. So right now, my crystal ball for Henderson is on the Clemson Tigers, and I, I think they're going to be the pick come the game. Um, then some of these other guys, I think the thing now f- to watch is some of these Florida signees um, that can very well improve their ranking um, coming off of really strong senior seasons. But I think the one guy for me that I'm going to be watching since I'll be in Orlando is four-star defensive tackle Javon Dexter. Um, 24-7 Sports currently has him ranked, I think, 24-25. Um, a li- little higher than most of the uh, industry, uh, which is higher than his composite grade. So I, I think – Whenever you have a, such a strong senior season, you have you know the athleticism, the size. There are a lot of intangibles that scream five star for Dexter. And the thing is, is he's a, you know a two year football player here that's coming from basketball. He's still really raw in a lot of areas, but he has done nothing but show that he is on the track of being a five star. And the thing for twenty four sevens rankings is that they're going to continue to expand the five stars. I think from mm-hmm. last check there was only nineteen that have been done, and I think they get somewhere around like 32, 30, 30 range. Correct. Yeah. Uh, for five stars. So they're still expanding this. And I think this is a perfect time for him to not only rise in the rankings if he comes out and just absolutely kills it. Um, but he, either way, if he stays where he's at as they expand the five star, I mean, it, right now he's in five star territory. So I think this week is a chance for him to really show um, what he's made of. You know, he's obviously he had a really good season going against some of these guys that are about my size and he's going to go against a lot stiffer competition out there. But I think that that could be where he moves up in those rankings is coming in and really kind of handling business. Uh, there's some other guys too. Florida's going to have Jaquavion Frazier's their wide receiver signee. I'm out there. Uh, I think he had somewhere around like 630 receiving yards this year as a senior. So he really had a, a strong year. And I, I was really impressed with what he put on tape. Um, he has some size, he has some speed. So I'm interested to see how he does against some of these other guys. Um, Mordecai McDaniel, uh, four-star defensive back that flipped from Tennessee and signed with Florida on the early signing period. He's played some corner. He's played some safety. Um, he's very quick. I'm really more want to see how where, a where he's going to play um, during practices. Is he going to play corner? Is he going to play safety? Because I think for now the plan for Florida is to move him around the secondary. But I think his home will be in in the safety room. Mm-hmm. So I really want to see how he does because again he's done a lot of cornerback during his season. I really want to see because that's a position that Florida really needed some help on. And is this going to be a guy that can bring that speed and that size um, and be a guy to, to contribute early for Florida? Uh, four-star cornerback Jahari Rogers is another guy in the Under Armour game. Um, he's been recruited as a cornerback by every school, but he's played quarterback a lot, mostly for his high school team. Um, he, he, whereas the secondary position for him during the season was DB. Um, this past season, he was strictly a DB. So he's still very raw in some areas, but he's extremely athletic. Um, he's done these kind of camps. Um, mind you, they're in shorts and you know those little padded helmets, um, yeah. doing you know the night opening and stuff. So it's a totally different game out here in fully pad. So I, I'm really interested to see him, you know, fully padded out there, really going through some of these drills and kind of see where he's come from. Um, Isaiah Walker Jr. is another guy that I think has been a really big key addition for Florida. I think he's one of those true left tackle types. He's very athletic, quick feet. So again, this is a guy who's you know done a lot of these camps in the off season, but it's fully padded now. So I think it's a totally different game now. So I think he's the one that I'm most uh, interested to see. And then when you kind of flip over to Florida signees in the All-American Bowl, Derek Wingo is another one that I think can move up in the rankings. And here's why. I think it's because the fact that he's played defensive end for his high school team, it's kind of hard to really look at him and say, well, you know, this guy is going to be a linebacker at the next level because he just doesn't do a lot of coverage. 
so I think, you know, getting in this kind of game, um, showing some athleticism and, and, you know, kind of playing, so to say, his true position, I think will really kind of help him a lot. Um, not necessarily in the blitzing because they're really kind of, you know, finicky on those in those All-American games. So yeah, I they think dial that back it's, on those. it's really going to show him in his, you know, dropping in coverage and doing different things. Because I think as far as, you know, tackling and, you know, getting towards the passer and showing bursts, you know, I think he's done a lot of that. So I think for right now he can kind of show um, – really his athleticism and what he can do in the passing game and dropping back, just because I think that those are kind of the questions for him. All right, guys. Well, there you have it. We will have plenty of Under Armour coverage from Blake on Swamp247.com throughout the week. We will also have plenty of Orange Bowl coverage and already do have actually quite a bit up on the site. So be sure to check that out. Uh, that's going to do it for us today, guys. I am signing off. I've got to head down to Miami. We got another round of interviews, meeting with players and coaches. So I'll be hitting the road. Be sure to hit up swamp247.com. Stay tuned with us throughout the next week, and we'll be back sometime next week after the Orange Bowl to break down Florida, Virginia. See you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.